Hi everyone! So I just wanted to start this episode by quickly letting you all know that we are going to be taking a brief hiatus uh, from Jane Eyre to go through uh, these lovely works by Poe. It's going to be a fun little, you know, set us in the fall moment. And yeah, I just thought it would be something fun, something to change it up. But we will be getting back into Jane Eyre after these couple of episodes. Um, and I hope you all enjoy them. Now, without further ado, let's get in the episode. And welcome back to the Barely Bookish Podcast. Today we are going to be talking about uh, the man, the myth, the legend, Edgar Allan Poe. And I am joined uh, by the lovely... Ren- Le- <laughs> I am joined by the lovely... I psyched myself out. You're right. I, <laughs> I do it all the time. I am <laughs> um, joined by the lovely Leanna Renee Heber. Yeah! Um, she is an author of both uh, nonfiction, fiction, you might have read uh, The Strangely Beautiful, The Spectral City, or her nonfiction book that has come out recently. Uh, the, she is the author of The Invisible, The Haunted History of Invisible Woman, which was up and nominated for a Bram Stoker Award. So welcome to the podcast. Yay, thank you. Yes, thank you. It's been it's been a wild ride, and uh, I'm I'm really glad to be here talking about my literary love of my life, who I describe as my literary boyfriend on every tour that I give in New York City, where we pass by uh, places where he lived and worked and wrote. Um, and so, yeah, I uh, he's he's my he's my main squeeze. I honestly did not know he was from New York. I mean, he, like, he, lived, in he lived in New York, like he was from m- many states claim him as their own. Any anywhere he mm-hmm. lived, there is like a Poe house um, and and sort of uh, a, a Poe claim to fame. Um, so he honestly was all over the East Coast. OK, but he spent many formative I- years and very important years writing stuff in New York. He wrote The Raven he while he was a New Yorker. Ooh, so. Oh, wait. If I mess up these poems, I'm going to be really embarrassed about it. That is that the one under the floorboards? No, it's not. No, that's that one's so. So the Raven is is his is his epic poem with Nevermore Mm -hmm. um, as the refrain. But under the floorboards is um, the um, uh, Telltale Heart, which is one of his most famous uh, short stories. Yeah, I am like trying to pull this out of my high school brain right oh, yeah. now. I haven't yeah. read them in a minute. Understood. Well, he he just he factors into so many things that we do. So I work as a in addition to being a writer, I'm also a New York City tour guide, and I work with a company called Rose of the Dead, and we do um, uh, 
tours, uh, macabre based tours in New York. Um, so a lot of ghost tours, but we also give an Edgar Allan Poe tour um, going around Greenwich Village, talking about the places where he lived. So and my co-author, Andrea James, is the founder of Burrows of the Dead. So she's my co-author mm-hmm. for A Haunted History of Invisible Women. So when we were putting our heads together about creating this book about women ghosts, um, and their meaning and, and all and their backgrounds and what stereotypes they fit into and all of the things that we were doing structuring this and how ghosts affect our consciousness in this country. Um, we had to sort of rely on some things that were said by Poe. Um, and and so we come back to Poe a great deal in our book. Um, and, you know, obviously, uh, we're, we're huge fans of his work and we really are interested in um, myth busting about him because a lot of people have a, mm-hmm. a, a really um, poor understanding of who he was as a person and think a lot of lies uh, that were told about him after his death are truths. And so we're very much about restoring Poe's good name because he was mm-hmm. not unhinged as as some reports um, said of him during during his time because the guy who uh, who wrote the biography right after his death happened to be his literary rival. So Rufus Griswold, oh. not a good guy. He wrote the first biography of Poe and he put in things like he was a morphine addict and all these other things that he was actually unhinged and, 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 and completely out of his mind and, and darker and more twisted than he actually was. So, yes, he was a melancholy man. He suffered from melancholia. That was sort of the Victorian word for depression. Um, he mm-hmm. was he battled alcoholism. Yes. Um, that's something that a lot of writers historically and presently deal with and battle with. Mm-hmm. He was he was struggling to get paid for his work, which is something that all of whether it's a, the, the striking unions for the Writers Guild and the uh, Screen Actors Guild, or it's the average person waiting for their publishing check. You know, I work in traditional publishing and often those publish, publishing payments are late. And he was mm-hmm. you know, dealing with that during all of his life. So um, one of the things that I love doing and talking about Poe um, is, you know, he's, he's such a backbone of my own work. But I also mm-hmm. am interested in sort of restorative history where, you know, we can kind of set the record straight about people who had a lot of misconceptions in their life. And we certainly do that within Haunted History of Invisible Women. There's a lot of women in there that had a lot of um, misconceptions about them in their lives, mm-hmm. uh, whether it's a, whether it was the quote unquote Salem witches who were not in fact witches mm-hmm. or or Sarah Winchester uh, being labeled a mad woman when she was anything but. Um, and 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 Poe being a madman, which he absolutely was not uh, just because he wrote dark fiction doesn't mean that, that he was, you know, living in that world. He, he wrote literary criticism as often as he ever wrote horror. So, um, Mm -hmm. so yeah, so I'm excited to dive into some of these stories with you because they're so formative and we can talk about that as we go, but, um, but he really is the bedrock of so much of genre fiction, especially for uh, the American uh, literary canon. Yeah. I, I think I mostly just thought he did like poetry just because that's what he's most known for. So when you sent this to me, I was like, what? Like I kind of forgot that Telltale Heart was a short story and not a poem because I've just tied his name to Poe, poem, sure. you know? It's right in there. Yeah. Like, I mean, it's like if you name your kid like Dr. McDoctor, if he doesn't become a doctor, what else are you going to do with I, a name like I that? I don't know what you do with a name like that. You, <laughs> you know, you have to I go go into something, get, get, get a PhD in something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You have to like 
at least have your PhD, even if you're not a medical doctor. Well, because you're going to be called doctor. So yeah, might mm-hmm. as well, might as well earn it. Might as well have the credentials somehow. Is it doctor, doctor, doctor at that point? Maybe. It might be. These are these are the rhetorical existential questions here on this podcast. The, yeah, the pressing questions. Yeah, we're, answers here. we're here to, to answer these things for you. So we are going to be t- discussing two of the uh, Dupin. I think it's Dupin. I think. I mean, I'm not. I, I'm not fluent Sorry. in French. Um, I, I took some in school, but so I think it's. I think it would be sort of. French, uh, pronounced Dupin, D-U-P-I-N. Um, so American audiences would, would, would look at that and say Dupin, but, but Dupin is, uh, yeah, a good C, Auguste Dupin. We're, we're going to do our best. We're going to do our best. Everybody knows that I, uh, was allowed to cheat my way through French. So. Fair. Yeah. By the teacher. The teacher just gave me the textbook every time there was a test. So wow, yeah. Well, so so you know a little French by yeah having the textbook in front of you. So you know it'll mm-hmm, work. Mm-hmm. If the answers are there, I can read them. Well, thankfully these stories are not all in French, but they do have some French in them. Yeah. So French listeners, I'm sorry. <laughs> yes. Um, I might just go with our friendly friend D. I might shorten it. It depends on how badly I keep messing up. Well, interestingly enough, in the purloined letter, which is the third of the Auguste Dupin narratives, uh, there is a D slash. As you would see often in Victorian Mm -hmm. stuff, you'll see um, where just the character's last initial uh, will be Mm -hmm. used. And and so that's so there's precedent. So you can you can just call him D if if nothing else. We will know that it is, in fact, C Auguste Dupin. In the in That's in the, the titular no. role, yeah. Poe labeled it right there for all of us non-French people. So we're going to be discussing two of the stories. We're going to discuss uh, the murders in uh, Rue Morgue. Mm-hmm. Fingers crossed. Yes. No. And... Mor- morgue is correct. It's where we get the word. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I was just like, why are they living in a morgue? <laughs> Okay, have you seen this whole trend of people buying old morgues, old morgues, old funeral homes, and just living in them? You know, it's, I mean, if that's your life choice, I, I wish you the best. I just hope you don't mind maybe being haunted. Yeah. I don't. You either have to be a skeptic. Or yeah. like really comfortable with ghosts. Yeah. Those are your only two options. Yeah, totally. Or or if you have any sense of like the, the various funerary industries. I mean, the concept mm-hmm. of a funeral parlor. So this is a tangent. Do That's I fine. have time for a tangent? Um, oh, yeah. You're good. So, so this is a tangent. Um, mm-hmm. So the, the term funeral parlor did not come into mm-hmm. common parlance in our language until the 1920s. Because prior to that, funerals generally would be held in the house. And if you didn't have space in your parlor, then they would be held in a, in a space of worship um, in, in whatever various faith uh, you might have um, or lack thereof. It would, could, would have been some sort of public space if you didn't have the space in your house. But generally speaking, even in you know very humble dwellings, you would be having the wake at your house. And a lot of the embalming and the dressing of the bodies and all of that would be done by the women of the family. 
Um, mm -hmm. And so, you know, women have kind of been, you know, womb to tomb sort of involved with uh, the life cycle, as it were. And so when, you know, when we were approached uh, uh, by an editor um, to write A Haunted History of Invisible Women, we were thinking about um, uh, how do we talk about women and ghosts? And well, it's, it's part of, mm -hmm. in some ways, the part of the life cycle um, that women have sort of been tasked with in many different aspects of caring for not only uh, uh, life, but in, in passing as well. So I think the mm -hmm. concept of the funeral parlor is, it's a very relatively, it's in terms of human history, it's a very new and modern concept. And so in some ways for people, it, it if you're not completely terrified by the concept of death, then a funeral home is just a structure. Um, so it really mm -hmm. depends on, uh, on, on your kind of views about things, uh, because it's just, there, there tend to be historic houses that were converted by mm -hmm. having larger spaces into something else, but started out probably in a lot of the historic buildings that I've seen started out as a house and that there was this possible practice associated with it. But still, again, that's only about a hundred years old, even so, um, I had, in my Spectral City series, I had to create a term viewing parlor to have an exception to that because it was set in 1899. And that series is set at this point before funeral parlor was an actual word. So I had to sort of explain what the viewing parlor was in the terms of how it was necessary for this particular group of people that they felt that they didn't want to host it in their house, that they wanted something external. Um, because that, and, and note that that was not common practice at this point. So, um, so, so the, the, the way our, our world is kind of coming back around to a broader discussion of death and, and also the death positive movement with, um, the order of the good death, um, Caitlin Doherty as a great, uh, author of, of books dealing with these topics of, of grief, death, mourning, loss, um, how do we deal with uh, ecologically with bodies, things like that. And like all of these things are, are part of a modern discussion now that are, actually kind of going back to more traditional practices and kind of reclaiming what is possible as long as people feel that they're comfortable talking about it. So, but yes, the word morgue is a French word. Well, most words are like, well, they got, they got something in there. So the, the Latin, Nazi. yeah, the, the Latin languages, the, the, all those roots go into all mm -hmm. kinds of things. So we're, are, are the English language is such a amalgam of so many things. Yeah. Also, this is going to be the moment that I'm shouting out Lauren the Mortician on TikTok. Heck yeah. Um, no real reason except for the fact that I'm obsessed with her channel. There you go. Um, yeah. I, anybody that hasn't seen it, she just stitches um, people that make like really bad decisions. Like, and then she's like, and this is how you could die. Yeah. And like, lists them all out. And like, she especially does it for like kids. Like people mm -hmm. that put their kids in dangerous situations. Yeah. Um, yeah. No and like PSA. Explains it in a nice way. Yeah. But I'm obsessed with that channel. So highly recommend. Totally. Yeah. There's also like a lot of skits about her being a mortician, which are also very good. It is a very, very, very interesting job. I've had a couple of friends uh, in the field and it is, uh, yeah, all kinds of things. But there's not actually always cold. Oh yeah, totally. But in the murders in the room morgue, there's not actually a morgue 
in this story other other than the fact that there are two bodies that mm-hmm. are in a house uh rue r-u-e is the french term for street so this is basically mm-hmm. morgue street the murders of morgue street is essentially what this this really means so and the other story we're going to be going into is the mystery of a marie roger yes uh, one yeah, of America's I, first true crime stories. Yeah, I'm very excited to talk about that. Um, as I am very specific with my true crime. This is a little note I'm going to put out there. I, the only true crime I like is the people that do true crime with the assistance of the families involved. Yes. Because I, there's nothing I hate more than people capitalizing off of murder. You know what I mean? Correct. Especially when they're like not giving care to the family. Correct. You know? Correct. Like well, the- yeah. It's it's like the when the when the Jeffrey Dahmer series was released on Netflix against the wishes mm-hmm. of all of the victims' families. Um mm-hmm. that I, I didn't watch it and I won't watch it. And I don't mm-hmm. feel bad about saying so because I'm sorry, you need to center these this is not a historical crime where no one is still out there grieving. Yeah. And, and, you know, so I felt like that was very insensitive and irresponsible. So Mm -hmm. I'm with you on that. Yeah. They, uh, Netflix did do a Netflix original, um, that I am okay with. And I have to think of it's unsolved mysteries. Yeah. And they had a lot of like their family involved. That's the kind of, I like that or everybody has to be that was involved past and plus 10 years. Right. Right. It has to be there, there, there. There has to be a too soon respect, yeah. respectful thing. You know, it's mm-hmm. like we've we've had we've had people ask us if we will lead ghost tours down towards the Twin Tower area. And we vehemently mm-hmm. say that mm-hmm. is disrespectful. That is a too mm-hmm. soon thing. You cannot ask a New Yorker about that. Do not yeah. like that is disrespectful. And people are still grieving. And that's that's definitely a too soon scenario. And yeah. we can talk about the grief and loss and the pain of that day. Uh, we can talk mm-hmm. about that. There's ways to yeah. talk about the event without making it sensationalized in a way that's problematic. Mm-hmm. And so we talk a lot about that in our book because within a haunted history of invisible women, we have to talk about how the ghost tour industry, if it's not, if, if the ghost tours are not curated and led well with respect mm-hmm. for the dead at the first and foremost, then you're actually sort of creating a, a, a ghostly tourism that's actually, I think, harmful. So, you know, yeah. definitely use your judgment when you're going to um, a haunted location to try to find a, try to find a company that looks like they're going to be respectful um, mm-hmm. and not just there to give you a jump scare because then they, then they're probably also have really shitty history. They'll probably not yeah. tell you the actual facts about a, a, or dates of a given location, or they'll pass mm-hmm. along hearsay about X, Y, or Z, um, uh, things that were said about people that lived there in their, in their own lifetime that was harmful then, let alone now. So, Mm -hmm. um, so definitely, you know, try to do a little bit of your due diligence, I think in the same way. So the, these industries are, um, I think it's important for, for unsolved mysteries, uh, to have the, the, the light and the interest in them to get them solved. Mm -hmm. I do think that sometimes crime does need a certain amount of people, involved in wanting and invested in wanting to solve it. So I, I think that that's an aspect of, tr- of true crime that can be helpful. Um, and that's mm. certainly the case in some of the recent, the Long Island killer stuff. 
Um, mm -hmm. and that's, you know, that's been something that, uh, people I know within the true crime community have, have been coming together to try to put some pieces together for those families too. Um, mm -hmm. and that's, you know, we're, we're, those things are still going to be unfolding like day by day. I'm still seeing information come out and things like that. So it's just, as long as people are being respectful, I think it's fine to be asking questions, but you just can't take mm -hmm. someone else's story um, insensitively. Um, and in, in the case of, of Marie Roger, we'll talk about what that meant for in, in, um, in 1841 when that came out mm -hmm. yeah, or, or when, or when the murder it was based on occurred. Mm -hmm. So yes. So, cause it, How? it, it itself came out in, uh, 1845. So, okay. I was going to say, how much of a time period difference? The time period there? difference is, so it was, um, so the timeline of, so going back to Poe, so mm -hmm. the the three tales, there are three stories that um, star C. Auguste Dupin. He's considered to be our first detective story. Sure, um, mm -hmm. The guy who wrote Sherlock Holmes, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, mm -hmm. said during his own lifetime that Edgar Allan Poe invented the detective novel. So if, if Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, who created Sherlock Holmes, says that Poe invented it, I think it's a safe mm -hmm. to say, yeah. The, yeah. And you'll, you'll definitely see and notice a lot of the quirks of Dupin f definitely fold into a lot of the quirks of a lot of the gifted detectives that we see mm -hmm. uh, in all of famous detective fiction. So Dupin really set the template for all of these things. So there's three stories he appears in. He first appeared in um, Murders in the Rue Morgue, um, which was 1841, was uh, was when that was first published. And then the following year, Mystery of Marie Roger came out in 1842, based on the okay. 1841 death of Mary Cecilia Rogers. So he he Frenchified her name to be Marie Roger because he's he's giving that to Dupin, who's a French character, and those those are set mm -hmm. in Paris. Um, but there's parallels to that. And then the final uh, appearance of Auguste Dupin is in the Purloined Letter, which came out in 1844, and Poe himself okay. died in 1849. So there was a rev revised version of the Mystery of Marie Roger, which came out in 1845. And the, we'll talk about that revision because I think that's an, that's an important aspect because new, new details came to light in that and Poe then reflected them in his new edition that came out a year after the original edition. I don't know which one I read. Hold on. Because this will be funny. I read 1850 is what mine thinks. Well, then you would have probably had the, his later version which had okay. um, which had one of the theories of her death in it, and we'll 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 I don't want to spoil that just yet. Okay, we'll get to it, and you'll tell me which one I read. And yeah, and if and if you don't mention it, then I'll know that it's not in there, and then I'll be like, well, there's this other yeah. theory, and then mm -hmm. we'll talk about that. Okay, so let's start with the murders in the Rue Morgue. So first. My understanding of this is that it must have been coming out in a magazine because it's yes. in a lot of parts. Yes. So you can see that there's like a little bit of recap at the beginning. Yep. So it's like, if you just got this newspaper for the first time, but by the last one, he's like, you better have gotten the other ones. He's introducing the character with, with mm -hmm. Rue Morgue. You know, this is the first time that he's introduced this character and there's a there was sort of a 19th century convention of kind of like 
reintroducing you to somebody that you should have already known, but you've actually never met them before. So that's mm-hmm. also sometimes a bit of the context of the Victorian style. And Poe okay. Poe liked to kind of drop you in the middle of stuff too. Mm-hmm. Part of it, you know, and part of it's because he was writing in short installments. And so he wasn't writing novels. He's writing these short stories. And some of those things kind of begin in media rest in the, in, in the moment, in the beginning of things when they're in the middle. So you're, you're listening to this narrator character, uh, introduce Mm -hmm. the main character for a little while. Yeah. I kind of love that. I prefer just to like get thrown into the action. Mm -hmm. I feel like it's a lot better. I feel like it's a lot more interesting. Yep. So I was very much a fan of these short stories. So, but let's start with part one. Um, So we find out uh, it's set in Paris. It's 1840. And this is where we first meet Auguste Auguste Dupont. I'm going to get it. (laughs) It's in there. somewhere Somewhere in that range of Dupont. Somewhere in there. It's fine. We know what we're talking we about. We do. We know well, who we're talking about. So um, we find out that Dupin does not trouble himself with anything materialistic, just books. And honestly, what a mood. That is me. Um, you can't see it because I'm in the wrong room, but I do have a very extensive book collection. So a man after my own heart, honestly. So our narrator, which... I don't know if it's supposed to be Poe or if it's just like an ethereal narrator. Yeah, I think it's, I honestly think it's like the universal narrator guy. Yeah. Like he just, he is, um, there's an interesting duality that um, is expressed in a lot of Poe where I almost think it's like aspects of, uh, of himself, but also aspects of things that he's interested in. And so I think mm-hmm. in some ways too, he's able, because he did come from a theater background, his parents, um, his parents were actors. Uh, his mm-hmm. mother died when he was two, so he didn't get a chance to really live oh. with them, but he was very familiar with theater and he wrote a lot of theater criticism and was very, and, you know, was, was very aware of what was happening in the world of theater. Um, and, definitely i think has a certain amount of ability to get into a role and so mm-hmm. i i feel like that there's sort of the role of narrator that i feel that poe slips into very easily but it doesn't always mean that it's directly him he's still this okay. other character mm-hmm. i did get nervous that this was actually not a story like a not a fictional story for a second because it, and then i was like wait because they okay so for context um I had recently read The Lottery by Shirley Jackson. Mm -hmm. And um, at the time, people didn't know if it was fiction or not. So I was trying to think like where, how this was like presented. Like, did people know this was fiction or did they think this might be real? Like, that's what I wonder sometimes. Poe really leaned into that as an unanswered question. Um, Mm -hmm. He he participated in something called... like the great moon hoax um that he wrote and so there's this whole thing that he wrote about this um was it the moon hoax or the balloon hoax i'm blanking on this it was let me see if it was the balloon hoax because there was there was a moon hoax in in a paper about going to the moon and landing on the moon 
Um, and uh, okay. we, we as humanity, everybody did land on the moon, but that was in the 1960s. But in the in the 19th century, they did not land on the moon. So please do not conflate uh, people who are are not into history. Please do not conflate this. Me saying no, we 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 in the 20th century had a moon landing, but they did not have it in the 19th century. Just saying. Yeah. But there was so there was a moon hoax, and then there was this balloon hoax. And let's see which okay. one. Was- <laughs> Which one was posed? Um, and the balloon hoax. It's a balloon hoax. The balloon hoax. Okay. okay. So I thought, all right. So the the great moon hoax happened in in uh, in one of the New York newspapers, and people thought it was a real thing. And so uh, Poe created a balloon hoax and called it like the balloon hoax, but then was published like it was a real account. So he was doing all kinds of these things where he he was toying with reality. In fact, um, his story. Um, the Facts in the Case of M. Valdemar was republished in a British mesmerism magazine as true fact of an actual mesmerist's ability to keep a spirit outside of a dead body and the and still anim- be animating the dead body with the spirit as a separate thing and sort of keeping the spirit in limbo until it returned to itself and then dissembled in a disgusting pile when it was actually released and able to finally uh, putrefy in the very end of this mm-hmm. and which is totally disgusting and beautifully written as only Poe can do right but mm-hmm. uh, yeah no the, the a British mesmerism magazine was like here here's this account of mesmerism in New York and Poe was like no 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 okay whatever <laughs> you know he's just was like all right whatever pay me because that was poor mm-hmm. Poe constantly hunting down paychecks which is very relatable I feel that emotionally right now i do too i do too i you know i'm an artist there's always Mm -hmm. there's always a hey somebody send me the i invoiced you come on yeah yeah please i work i work i work i freelance across several different areas of public speaking and writing and sometimes performance so it's just yeah and and tour guiding and all of that i will say thankfully andrea jane's my my co-author and my boss she always pays on time Mm -hmm. so she's she's the best one of the lot Bless her. The best. I I thought about this while you're talking about the believability. Um, I don't know if you've ever listened to Spirits podcast. Oh yeah, not. Oh, yeah, I'm obsessed. But they did a whole episode about creepy pasta and how like people just all know it's fake, yeah. except some people like don't pay attention. And like I've been seeing a lot of that. Um, people are picking up old creepy pastas or doing new ones, and they're putting them on um like the reddit to tiktok pipeline yep. of doing these like voiceover over yep. whatever videos um and they're like creepy pastas and like people in the comments don't know and i'm like i thought this was just something like universally you can just you can pick the air and you're like mm that has a taste of a, a nice creepy pasta and people just don't know I I feel like we are going to be a very difficult era for archaeologists to figure out, yeah. uh, especially yeah. with with AI um, t- trying to like picking up bad information and feeding that into the algorithm. It's like I just mm-hmm. I don't it's I have no idea. I feel very, very badly for future scholars. Uh, and I mm-hmm. hope that a lot of a lot of the falsehoods will just cease to exist in and that archived versions of the actual truth will be the ones to prevail. But I, I don't, I don't know. I don't know how that's going to all go. I don't know. I don't know. But, I, but Poe enjoyed 
this liminal space between reality mm-hmm. and fiction. And that ended up sort of not being to his credit when when people sort of equated his stories with him being a madman, which he was absolutely not. So that's in some ways, um, it's the that line and and where and how that line blurred then uh, wasn't necessarily helpful to him in his life, and it's it's not necessarily helpful to us now. But we're we're still we're still navigating these things in in a certain amount of comfort. Like this is we are still dealing with problems that were still problems in the very first early days of journalism. So and the first mm-hmm. early days of newspapers. It's just that the internet makes everything so much faster. That's the only difference. Yeah, I think too is like you can even think about how people treat Poe, like how people treat people who read dark romance books oh yeah oh yeah they'll be like oh so like you like kidnapping and it's like no 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 chill no (laughs) chill yeah the inability to separate things out is uh, we're we're living through a a reality bending uh uh time where it's hard to sift through but Mm -hmm. um but yeah so so you were you, so you were curious if Murders in the Room Org was taking off a, of a true crime? I could. I thought this was a fan, like a not fantasy, but like a fiction story. Yeah. However, when we went to uh, the Marie Roger, I was like, I'm now less certain. Right, because yes, because that one is not fiction, yeah. but Room Org is fiction, although mm. possibly plausible considering. I won't. I won't spoil it until you do when you when you do your rundown. So we'll, we'll get it we'll get to the culprit. Second guess it. Yeah, totally. Of reading the other one. Totally, because it's it's it is presented as plausible. Hmm. Yeah. So we'll get into it. But so narrator um, meets uh, Auguste Dupin Dupin at a bookstore, which is honestly um, how all great rom coms start. Just throwing that out there as a little tasty tidbit for everyone. <laughs> little thought experiment. I don't know. I'm just, you know, hoping, dreaming. Anyways, um, so they were both trying to find the same book. Again, great rom-com start. Um, yeah. Totally unrelated. I'm totally not thinking about that as a rom-com. It's fine. Um, so our narrator starts like listening to this guy after they run into each other multiple times always at different bookstores which i just like the idea that like basically they were doing a bar crawl but bookstores a bookstore crawl and they just keep going to the same ones that are like all right we're five books in tell me a little about yourself you know yeah that tracks yeah i want to imagine it was all the same day i definitely don't think it was uh, no, they say later we met again. So there wasn't like a, a few days later. It just said later. They could just be going bookstore hopping. I think that's probably it. I mean, this is this is an epic a romance, bromance. I'm not sure the, the mm-hmm. it, I, I, yes, the narrator describes himself as a dude. So yeah, that's. They are living together. They're living of, together. So. I mean, I, I think anything's on the table, everybody. Anything's yeah. on the table. Just, you know, throwing it out there as a fun little thought that maybe they're dating. I don't know. I totally just... could be. <laughs> this is my little headcanon. I... It doesn't have to be for everyone. Hey, I, 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 support, I support 
however it is read. I feel like it's a certain amount of open-ended. I just like the idea of uh, like a couple's investigation unit. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think it's I mean, adorable. But think about it too. It's like this, this, these two people. And then you think about Holmes and Watson. It's like this, this template, basically Conan Doyle was like, that's a great structure. I'm just going to use it over here. <laughs> I know. I, while I was reading this, I was like, I have to figure out which comes first because. No, this very... came first. Yeah. This came for this. This is, he's, he invented the structure. Mm-hmm. And then he was like, you know what, Sherlock, what if we just scratch out this name right here? He won't be French. He'll be English. And then, but yeah. he'll be just as quirky. Yeah. And have and just as much fancy. was like, oh. Right, right. <laughs> so Dupont gives a bunch of family history. Our narrator is very interested, but he's like, moving on, <laughs> moving on. Um, I don't really care about the family history. I just like books. <laughs> um, and our narrator's like, you know what? A French, this is a straight quote. A friendship of such a man would be for me riches. They're in love. Just kidding. I need to stop saying that, but I just like love it in the space. <laughs> there, there is a clear fondness there it is Mm -hmm. it it is not for me to judge the nature of their relationship but there is clear care there yeah they're definitely great friends fan fictions fan fiction authors have definitely done the work for me though oh yeah yeah (laughs) um so he agrees to go and live with poe i just how many bookstores did you have to go to where he's like what if you just like came and lived with me what if we just like hung out forever he goes to live with dupin he doesn't go to live with poe you said poe that's hilarious oh sorry in the in the i want to in the let's lest we add the creepy pasta to poe's actual history no the narrator of his own story does not in fact become sentient and live with the author um he goes to live with the fictional detective yeah. Auguste Dupin. What I, I kind of love that though. Unknown narrator. Unknown narrator goes to live with, who is in fact never named, mm-hmm. um, goes to live with uh, Dupin. I I did Rebecca not that long ago. Like it was a while ago. It was months ago. But like I assumed the narrator's name was Rebecca. So having to go back out and cross out all of my notes to say unnamed narrator. Narrator said. Oh my god! You got you got a slit yourself. I'm reliving this. Yeah. No, that's the it's the origin of that whole deal. Mm -hmm. So narrator, I'm just gonna go that way. Um. So we find out Dupont was a lover of the night, same, and likes to walk the streets of Paris because, one, that's the best time to walk the streets of Paris because there's not that many people out. Uh, Otherwise, if you've ever been to Paris, it's insane. There's people everywhere, all the Mm -hmm. time, forever. Mm -hmm. At night, there's just, like, slightly less. But they're still out, which is beautiful. Yeah. It's a beautiful city. I love it so much. I, I like it. I think I would like it better at night. During oh, yeah. the day, it was just a bit overwhelming for me. It's amazing. My favorite tidbit of the the narrator talking about how they close all the curtains so that no like no light comes in, and like mm-hmm. as a you know vampiric creature, I'm a I'm a total night owl. 
So I really mm -hmm. respect this. Close all the drapes. Mm -hmm. Don't let the light in. Yeah. They like yeah. lit candles too, which is funny because like Dupin kind of has like he didn't really inherit the family fortune in the way that like he hoped. And so he's not really got a lot of money. So it's very funny to me that they like don't do not use natural light and instead light candles, mm -hmm. which is it just, that's just I'm like, you guys are so goth. I love it. It's Listen, hilarious. everybody knows you don't use the big light. It's too it's too it's too painful. You just got to have your cute little accent lights everywhere. Mm -hmm. This is why we have lamps. It's true. So then the narrator says that Dupont surprised him by telling him what he knew of his own soul. And then he found the things he knew are the things that I, uh, about me that I thought only I could possibly know. So it's really setting up Dupont to almost have like this other earthly like knowledge, which I'm obsessed with. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, so also, yeah, this is setting up this is this is setting up the reader knowing, like, yes, the the this is a this is a man who is going to be examining everything mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. is always on intake, which I think is really important to to have that set up um as this detective character that does seem like his deductions are preternatural, which is definitely something that also is used that Sherlock uses all the time. This is my favorite type of character, like the very quiet, very stoic, like sitting in the corner. And then like, you think they're not paying attention. They're like playing on their phone. And then they say, you say something and they're like, actually, I noticed that three hours ago you did this, this, and this, and this, which then led me to understand. And you're like, you were paying attention this whole time. That's it's, the kind of character I'm obsessed it's with. It's the template for every quirky detective series mm -hmm. and every show across mm -hmm. every different um country like I, I was on this one netflix binge where i just was like watching every crime drama from like you know uh sweden to finland to poland to like i was like what is what is your version of the brooding cop you know mm -hmm. irish what is your version of the brooding cop drama and they all have mm -hmm. one and it was all but it, it all kind of goes back to this character i feel like it's all traces back to this yeah and i will never stop getting enough of it like, mm -mm. I'll never I love stop. it. It's always good. Ugh. It's like watching a doctor show. I, I'll never stop. I love them. <laughs> I recently have gone on a vampire binge. Um, we did interview with the vampire. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah. Have mm -hmm. you seen the new TV show? Oh yeah, it's amazing. I mean, I'm a fan. The... I'm a fan of the books. I'm a fan of the original mm -hmm. movie. I'm a fan. Yeah, no, I love what they're doing. I like. Yeah. I like. I like the the changes that they're making, mm -hmm. and also what they're staying true to. It's all. It's all up for grabs, and I think it's all being yeah. very well done. I'm obsessed. Um, I recently started watching what we do in the shadows. <laughs> so the best. I just started it, and I'm like, why did I not have this earlier? The subtitle being Interview with Some Vampires is the actual subtitle of that film. And that is so that that is that film is one of my actual favorite films. And that, the, the show the is great, yet. but the, the original film is like mm -hmm. is my favorite because it is just. It's all I, I, I also feel very called out as a goth. It like very much calls out goths in general in the way that like mm -hmm. we need we need to. We can't take ourselves too seriously. We that's we need to every now and then something's got to poke fun at us. I I have to watch the, it was, 
it cost me money to rent it. It wasn't on any of the thousands of streaming mm-hmm. services I feel like I have at this point. So I'm going to like watch it at the end. But I own it. I own the, the DVD yeah. of that of that movie. I love it. Yeah. I, I am excited. I just saw Queen of the Damned recently. Very good movie. Um, obsessed. Very 2005 Hot Topic. And I love that. Yes. That was an important era of Hot Topic. It's true. The best era, arguably, of Hot Topic, honestly. Yeah, that was a good run. Mm-hmm. Bring back the studded belt. Bring back the studded belt. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm kind of mad mine is gone. It didn't survive one of my moves. It's very sad. Yeah. Mine, I uh, kept having to punch new holes because I got it when I was in middle school. Um, so I, I eventually ran out of space and I was like, okay, goodbye, my sweet, sweet child. <laughs> <laughs> but going back to our uh, not so vampiric, but creature of the night anyways, DuPont, um, we get this moment where they're walking down the road, our narrator and DuPont, and he's just barely even like says something. And DuPont just responds and he's like, oh, you're right. He is a little fellow. That's true. He would have been more successful if he acted in a lighter, less serious place. Oh, he didn't even say something, actually. Sorry. Yeah, the narrator doesn't say anything and DuPont just responds and he goes, yeah, there could be no doubt. That's what the narrator says. And he goes, they're walking for a couple more steps. And he's like, wait a minute. I didn't say anything out loud. I was thinking about that. <laughs> and he's like, I, how, how, how'd you do that? Care to elaborate? And then DuPont's like, oh, well, um, I knew you were talking about it because, um, you know, well, we, you looked at that building basically and made a little face. So we're walking a couple more steps and you made another face. You looked at this thing and then you looked at that thing. And then I knew logically that you must be thinking about that play we saw two days ago. So. <laughs> and, it, and it's, and he did, he, he is in fact. So this yeah. is one of many examples of the course of these stories where Mm-hmm. where the, the narrator walks us through some of that. He doesn't always mm-hmm. walk us through that, but he's setting that up as an example of, and yeah. thankfully he doesn't walk us through every last moment of every single synapse. Mm-hmm. And, you know, but it, I think it's important in when you're setting up a character and dynamic that, that how he gets to where he's going is explained. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there's like a lot of tidbits going from, how they went from the fruit cellar to then the cobblestones, uh, then to Orion. And then he's like going through all of this and goes, and then I knew you, when you walk past this street, you're putting down stones. Um, and then you face, your face became brighter. I saw your lips move. So I knew you were thinking about the word astronomy. Uh, and that's why, because it's the name for cutting stones. And I'm like, okay. And then he's like, and then, not that long ago, we were talking about Epicurus and his ideas. Um, and then he looked up, he looked at the sky, 
And I was like, what? So he's like really trying to lay out. He's like, I totally didn't read your thoughts. I just like am observant. But I, I, again, had no context for this character. So I was like, is he actually just trying to cover up the fact that he's totally reading his thoughts the whole time? Right. Right. Mm -hmm. No, there is not. There is not actually a preternatural angle to Dupin. Uh, sorry to say, it is all. Mm -hmm. This would be this in in terms of the explained versus the unexplained Gothic. This is the explained Gothic, uh, where mm -hmm. all of the there is no there is no uh, preternatural, even though it seems preternatural to someone else. Um, mm -hmm. It is all very logic and deduction based, which is something that actually Poe was a really big fan of. He was not mm -hmm. a fan of of you know fake mediums or of of mesmerists trying to pull one over on a crowd that kind of thing he was he was pretty shrewd about things so he he really i i truly believe he considered somebody like dupin to be a, a real hero mm -hmm. see i prefer like people like that where they're like i have standards <laughs> these are my standards because like you know trying to pull one over on people you know like all mm -hmm. those like like the very obvious like psychic buildings and you're like yeah okay. oh yeah 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 they're i mean each town i okay and and there may be different levels of people who do have some kind of gift or whatever but i just mm -hmm. you know i'm i always i go into that with skepticism um mm -hmm. yeah. yeah i think i it it's the I love a good paranormal story. I mean, that's what I write. I write mm -hmm. paranormal stuff and I have a belief in the paranormal, but I also mm -hmm. not to the detriment of science and not to the, you know, sci science and the unexplained to me live in a certain uh, flexible relationship. Whereas yeah. I'm going to assume that it's some sort of scientific atmospheric thing that's happening until I can't explain it any other way. And then when all else, when all these other rational things fail, then it is something that falls into the realm of the unexplained. But I don't go to the unexplained first. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. I feel like so, as soon as I get something that's a little out of my normal day to day, I'm like, it's a ghost. Yeah. But that's just like a little, that's a little treat for me. There that's you go. A little exactly. Me thing. I feel the same way about ghosts. So yeah. All right. Well, that is all we are going to have time to cover today. So thank you so much for joining me. Um, I do want to take a second because uh, you have a wonderful book out. Um, it's the Haunted History of Invisible Women. Um, it's beautiful and it will be talking a lot about our next story that we're going to talk about with our main man Poe. Um, do you want to tell all the listeners about it a little bit? So yeah, Haunted History of Invisible Women, True Stories of America's Ghosts is uh, real history, real ghosts, real women. Um, what we do is we break the book down into different stereotypes or tropes that uh, women have been sort of placed into or fallen into. And we examine that through the lens of ghost stories and the actual lives that these women lived. And very often, in some cases, ghost stories that were told about them before they even passed away. Um, so we have a range of famous and not famous uh, uh, women, and we um, just kind of explore uh, what that uh, what telling ghost stories about them has meant and and how we can kind of unpack that. Um, so it's it's really the intersection of women's history and ghost stories um, and written by Andrea Janes and myself. 
and we are ghost tour guides in New York. And I have worked in many different haunted properties throughout this great nation. And there's, you know, sort of a through line of an interest in the paranormal that has followed me and through all of my work. So I, in my fiction, I write about ghosts, but in nonfiction, it's been really about trying to get to the truth of it. So mm-hmm. separating fiction from uh, nonfiction uh, and trying to, to do right by these women that very often we're not done right by in life. Uh, and mm-hmm. so, um, so yeah, it's, uh, it's been a successful book. We've, uh, our, our publisher Kensington has been very pleased and we hope you'll check it out and, uh, and tell friends because word of mouth is really important on, on books like these. This is the first book of its kind to really look at women's history and ghost stories in this type of combination before. Um, rather, you know, there have been co- collections of ghost stories written by women in a fictional capacity, but this, sort of feminist compilation of women's stories in the ghost lore angle uh, is, is, is we, we kind of were able to break a little bit of new ground on this. And it's got an afterward by um, incredible horror writer, Linda D. Addison. Um, and uh, she's amazing. So we're really glad she was a part of our team too. So yeah, thanks. And uh, anything about the book, you, if you look up a haunted history of invisible women, if you just Google that phrase, then all of the bookstores will come up. So it's available in mm-hmm. au- audiobook, uh, ebook, paperback, anywhere books are sold. Plus the cover's beautiful. It is beautiful. It's taken from a 19th century photograph that was manipulated. It was one of the first photo manipulations. So it was the, the ghost of, uh, of, of Subaru, uh, Jeanette Subaru as um, I believe is the, Mm -hmm. uh, was the actual title of this particular um, woman that is disappearing into the wall. So this was early, like spectral photography, but this was just obviously a trick of different um, exposures, but people didn't necessarily know that. So people would pass these things off as actual spectral photography, Um, but people just didn't know how uh, photographs worked. That's a whole nother story for another time, but there was whole trials about uh, spectral photography and it's reality or it's uh, uh, in this case, you know, pulling the wool over people's eyes, but um, the actual photographer is not known. So it's an anonymous photograph. That's really cool. I love that that's also just a tidbit that's thrown in. Like, that's a, another layer to this, you know? It really is. It's an incredible. Uh, it's one of those things where, like, why manipulate something when this actual 19th century thing exists? Mm-hmm. Like, just don't know. Like, there's nothing better than that. Um, our yeah. editor found that image, and and we were like, well, we just, well, there's our cover. Just thank you, yeah. art department, for putting pretty text around it. We'll make sure to tune in next week, and we will catch you all in the next chapter. Bye. Thanks.